I'm Dr. Gene Hemsler, and you're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. For more than 25 years, my associates and I have been providing straightforward, no-nonsense advice for your financial questions. Email us at drgene at hemsler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, March 9th, 2019. The only thing we have to fear... The economic health of this nation has been... ...for essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline... Greed. ...in the dollar. It's a late rally on Wall Street. Too big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Monitor. Good morning. What up, fam? You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on the radio. I am Troy Harmon, the new hip, cool, lit, woke. I mean, what what else could you call me? Uh, KC. I'm telling Grand, you. Grandpa Millennial. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> KC Smith with me. Uh, KC's a CFP and a... Is that it? That's it. SEPA. SEPA, that's right. Yeah, I knew there was something else. That's right. And we have uh, Michael Griffin, who's also a CFP, and uh, and then just me. You don't have any, any letters behind well, your yeah, name? Yeah, I'm a CFA charter holder, and uh, I also hold the CVA designation, which is uh, about business valuation. Works well with a SEPA. Sure does. Um, a lot of folks, you know, especially these days with uh, so many... Um, baby boomers looking to exit the the uh, workforce. A lot of them business owners um, looking for a way. And that SEPA is Certified Exit Planning Advisor. That's right. Uh, so uh, you got a guy in KC who can talk about preparing your business for sale, and uh, and uh, I can do the valuation. That's right. Part of that is bringing in somebody like Troy to figure out what the business is worth. There you go. What it's really worth, That's not right. what you think it might be worth. Oh yeah. Well. You know, as often as that is, uh, nobody wants to call their baby ugly. <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, and uh, that's usually what you run into—a little bit of a an opinion about. Well, it depends on you know what side of the equation you're on. If you're looking to sell it, it's the most beautiful thing ever. Mm-hmm. But if you're the buyer, oh, I'll show you all the the warts and wrinkles. That's it, warts well, and all. That's right. Anyway, um, looking at the market this week, uh, had one of those. Occasions where the market is down 1.37% this week. Um, Haven't seen that too often this year. No. Year to date, we're up almost 10%, 9.94, even after the decline. Industrials leading the way, 15.28%, way in the basement, healthcare, 3.6%. It's one of the few times you see healthcare, uh, not at least in the middle of the pack. Yeah. Um, there's so much inflation in healthcare. I think everybody is. Felt that in wallet. If uh, if you can afford even to have health care, um, you know the price goes up higher than most every other thing in your basket of goods. Uh, you know when you talk about inflation in health care, it's been somewhere in the level of about five and a half, five point seven percent annually over long periods of time. The only other thing that gets there anywhere close to it, education, about three and a half percent. And right now we got inflation on the overall basket of goods according to CPI. Consumer price index uh, about 1.6 percent. So, yeah. um, just to give you a little bit of an indication there, but healthcare's prices um, 
while they're positive, they are in the basement this year, uh, 3.6%. Consumer staples up 6.52s next to the basement. Look on the other end, as I said, industrials up over 15%. Energy, 13.8%, and, uh, you know, that's a managed uh, sector if I've ever seen one. It, it's all um, gets its cues, or pricing at least, by uh, crude oil, and crude oil gets its cues from the supply Our favorite and cartel. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, a legal cartel, global-based uh, OPEC, and um, you... Uh, Pretty much take whatever they give you, and they control it all with their supply to the market. Yeah, I guess with uh, something that's been in the news here recently with the Bakken shale kind of coming back into the fold. Is right. Some, uh, you know, I guess energy prices have gotten to the point where that's attractive again uh, right. to, to start back up with some, some of the fracking. How How is that impacting the, the over, overall price? What do they think the supply I mean, obviously, that's going to increase the supply. It which, would, yeah. Which would uh, decrease price. Would, would have would limit a little bit of what OPEC's able to do in terms of controlling the right the price. Well, uh, what you saw in 2014 to 2016, the significant decline in uh, in the price of crude oil was uh, an oversupply, intentionally targeting that uh, shale oil that you're talking about, right. the, the fracking uh, that we saw in Western North Dakota. Um, you ever been there, KC, by the way? Can't say that I have. Yeah, I've, I've been through western North Dakota, spent a lot of time in eastern North Dakota, the flat territory um, where there's really no oil or anything else. Uh, I don't know if, if I, sugar I would beets. know the difference if, between east and west if you were to put me there. Um, oh, you would notice. There's hills in the west, and okay. there's absolutely no hills and very few trees other than those that have been planted by humans. Mm -hmm. uh, almost all of the rivers in that area and points north uh, flow from south to north, which is really bizarre and causes problems in the wintertime. But hmm. uh, that has absolutely nothing to do with the financial uh, <laughs> things that we usually focus on. No, it doesn't, Troy. And every time you talk about North Dakota, it makes me really not want to go visit. Yeah, you know, I had a great time when I lived there for, you know, a little more than three years um, when I was in the Air Force a long time ago. Um, but uh, you definitely have to look to see the beauty. you got to look close to see the beauty of North Dakota. There's a lot of folks that uh, settled there, uh, most of them from uh, uh, of Norwegian accent, or uh, Norwegian descent. descent. What yeah. am I trying to say? Accent? Descent? Yeah, descent. it's close enough, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. Don't make me try to do a Norwegian accent. Please don't. Uh, yeah. Please don't. I, I, I won't. I'll embarrass well, myself. Your name's not Oli or Lena, and that's usually what the kind of names you run into there. Uh, nobody would believe a KC ever came from Norway. So, mm, yeah. Well, true. Yeah. So you you got to pass on that. All right. Um, so uh, in the week, while the market has been down 1.37%, in the basement is industrials, who are, again, our uh, Year-to-date leader, you would expect, usually if it's flying high overall, yeah, it gets kicked around a little bit, depending on valuation. Um, financials were a close second, negative 2.36% uh, on the week. Uh, utilities, the big winner. Usually when utilities, real estate, uh, those kind of stocks are winning, uh, you can expect that the market was probably negative and uh, interest rates likely fell in the offing. So um, interest rates down, prices up, right? 
That's right. And, Speaking uh, of interest rates, where where are we at on the yield curve, Troy? Uh, we're still we got that weird belly in the yield curve. At one point during the week, early in the week, um, I saw the the, uh, the one year and the seven year actually at parity, meaning same yield. Yeah. Uh, that corrected itself relatively quick, um, but you still see. I mean, all I have in front of me here is a 2.49 percent yield on the two year. 2.466 on the five-year. That's still showing you uh, shorter-term maturities are are higher than some that are a little bit longer. But that two and ten spread uh, that we've been watching for still at about what 17. And you're seeing the points. two is slightly higher than the five. It looks like 2.49 yeah, yeah. versus 2.46. So, right. Yep. Um, and I, I guess you guys have talked about it on the radio. I haven't been on the show in a while, but uh, the fact that just because we don't have an inverted yield curve doesn't mean that we will not go into a recession, right? I mean, that's correct. Those yeah. are things aren't you don't necessarily have to have a yield curve inversion, although we have had it in every recession since what 1960 something. Yeah, earlier than that. But yeah, it's like the last ten recessions okay. have been uh, predictable. If you look at the ten versus two year uh, Treasury yeah. yield. Um, the thing that we have been watching, and I, I know we had Jacob Keen on. Uh, a few weeks ago, <clears throat> he uh, made the point that as we have seen yields decline, and they've declined significantly since, you know, in the last 30 years for sure, mm-hmm. um, these two versus 10 inversions that we've seen have gotten smaller and smaller in size. So, you know, the first, some of the first ones were in the, on the order of 2.4%. The last one we had was 0.16%. So, uh, yields have fallen. Uh, last recession we had, um, time we saw the inversion in the yield curve, similar to what we have now, was about June of 2006, uh, which was about... It makes me feel good. Yeah. It was about 16 <laughs> months, I think, before we saw the market actually um, top. Right. Uh, so financial markets and economic conditions are not in lockstep, obviously. You look for economic conditions to kind of forecast what's going to happen next in the financial markets, but um, what we did see was uh, about a 16-month period before the market topped, and then we didn't see uh, official recession until late in 2008, so about, um, you know, about 12 months longer until we saw true recession. Right. But, Troy, Um, even if we go into a recession here, I mean, we're not thinking it'd be anything like 08 was. Yeah, I don't see near the... the, um, bubble that you could identify even you know a lot of folks were were screaming there's a lot of folks that actually call for recessions more frequently than we have them i think that's one of dr gene's favorite sayings he's he's been the uh he's been the you know he'll talk about somebody that does that quite frequently he's been the forecaster of 10 of the last two recessions yeah (laughs) you know and and that's uh that's not uncommon that you see some people are kind of stuck on bear uh meaning they're stuck on you know, neg- the negative data in the market. But I, I see, you know, it, I see it difficult to improve certain things from here. Mm-hmm. And I also see some weakness starting to show up. You even see companies that are kind of weakening guidance, meaning their growth is going to slow. Um, even the managers that are running these companies are, are doing that. But at the same time, strangely enough, they're also buying their own shares back. I don't know how in the world that makes sense if you just listen to to a little bit of uh, philosophy that's been poured out over financial markets in the yeah. last 30 years. 
All right, well, let's take a real quick break. You're listening to Money Talks. When we come back, we'll have a dog of the week and uh, answer some financial questions for you. Stick around. It's time for the Dog of the Week. All right, Dog of the Week this week. Um, you know how I love to poke fun at millennials, and since I'm on the radio show today with uh, two millennials, Casey Smith and Michael Griffin, um, I've made the point before that Casey is like the first month ever of millennials. I don't know exactly when, when it started, but I don't think that's exactly true. I think it was 1980. Yeah. Well, I've got like three years on them. So, oh, okay. uh, although I look like the oldest millennial of all time, you're not grandpa millennial. Uh, are you? Are you? I, I am in attitude completely grandpa okay. millennial. Well, get off my lawn. Yeah, <laughs> but I am too, and I'm a little bit younger than you, and I'm. Well, yeah, true. well, I'm a generation. So you can be a great grandpa millennial. That's right. Okay. <laughs> How, however, y'all want to slice attitude, it up. Not an age. That is so, very fair. This <laughs> that is absolutely true, as my dog of the week would tell you. This comes from the register. And uh, it basically is saying that uh, MIT did a study on how when you try to uh, be countercultural, which many millennials do, I think it started with what they got, man buns. Um, you know, you see gauges in the ears, lots of tattoos. Uh, you got to have a beard. Uh, you almost always have to own a Jeep to be a millennial, right? There, there's Arkansas some criteria. Yeah. You, you have to ride a bird uh, in the city of yep. Atlanta. Is what's closest to me. So, and when uh, you say a bird, you're talking about a scooter. Not yeah, like not a, a robin. Yeah, yeah, no, this is gotcha. not. You know, <laughs> just making sure I'm clear. Let's go catch a buzzard. And, and when you said what County. up, fam, to start the show, it confused the heck out of me. Oh well, I'm just trying to get along. I mean, right. I, I'm I, without a doubt, I'm a Gen Xer, but you know. So what winds up happening uh, when you try to uh, be different? Quite often, you look. The same, because yeah, you true. identify somebody else that looks different, and then they want to be different. So next thing you know, I used to tell my kids, in fact, I still do, because, you know, I've still got kids, and I'm still my same old self, um, that uh, they want to be different, just like everybody else. That's right. And, uh, you know, they, why not go out and get yourself a tattoo on the top of your foot? Everybody else has done it, and now you don't look so out of place. But um, anyway... Uh, the group from MIT published an article, you know, talking about how this is this is the way it is, and and they made the mistake of putting a, kind of a generic face uh, of a person who had done just that uh, on their article. Within just a few minutes, they got an angry reply that this guy uh, who had emailed them uh, that they had used his image. Without his permission, and the, he was mad, and it wasn't he wasn't going to stand for this. Turns out, he's absolutely wrong. It wasn't him. To the point, I mean, this this article has just proven itself absolutely yeah. right. Those guys at MIT are smarter than I thought they were. Well, I, you know, they well, they do all kinds of things. And clearly, the person comment on the article, Troy, didn't really have much to do. I mean, really. Oh, I think it's interesting. I, I, as a guy who likes to poke fun at millennials, well, I, I get the I'm comment all the time. I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you from? I, I'm, I'm, I just have You're a familiar just face, guy. I guess. I don't know what it is. Maybe I got lots look, of doppelgangers running around. Maybe you look different enough that you look the same. Well, if I'm Grandpa Millennial, then I guess it, I was the trendsetter. Everybody's going after me, uh, coming after true. my looks. 
Yeah. But you just listed all those things about millennials and all the things that they, you know, have. Well, many and, and, of those are mine. And, and you're you sitting know, with two of them, and I have a beard, and that's it. In case yeah. you didn't even have a beard, and Neither we don't qualify you for Jeep. any of those other yeah. qualifications. And no. by the way, if you have a Jeep and you're a millennial, you got to have a jack mounted on it somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you got that'll have never accessories. be accessories. Well, not for that. I mean, <laughs> it'll probably be somebody will come along, take it off, and knock the window out of your truck to steal the contents, right? Probably. And then the more likely use for the jack that you've got mounted on the top of your car. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Anyway. Especially in the city. Um, yeah. might not be the absolute best dog of the week, but I had to use it because, you know, this is one of those, those points. Right. Look, near, everybody, near everybody likes to pick on the millennials. If I can pick fine. on millennials and my children at the same time, you know, being uh, different so that they look the same, I, what's the not? problem here? I, I mean, I, get I, yourself a toe ring, man. <laughs> it's a win-win, Troy. A toe a win-win. ring. Win-win. Well, <laughs> I don't even know. If, I think the ladies a thing. <laughs> Of course. You don't see people walking around with sandals and a toe ring. I can't say that I have. Casey, Maybe you so. don't pay attention enough. I Maybe don't. you should look at a few feet once in a while. <laughs> oh. You got your head up. This dog the week went downhill very quickly. Well, you know, it happens sometimes. It does. All right, so let's talk about something a bit more related to finance, which is uh, really what we're here to do, believe it or not. Um, we got uh, a situation... Uh, with the tax reform, there's been a few changes, and, and uh, it has led to some confusion. Uh, but Eleanor's state and local tax deductions uh, were limited to $10,000, which made uh, using the standard deduction more advantageous, which a lot of folks are finding themselves in that situation. Um, however, this uh, was still far less than her itemized deductions in the past. But uh, she was not 100% pleased with her 2018 taxes and wants to make sure that she's planning ahead for 2019. She's a year late, but it's okay. There's never, I mean, you don't sit around and wish you had done something and not pick it up right now. So yeah. you know, this is this is the way to do it. And while you're dealing with your taxes, probably in the next month or so, why not talk about it? Uh, planning for 2019, her accountant suggested she just uh, give more to her church uh, to make up for the tax deductions she lost. But there might be an issue there as well. Uh, so the big issue is if you've got to take a required minimum distribution, you can actually do it in a way that, that benefits you more, especially if you're a charitable-type person who's willing to give. And I find that, you know, while they did take away uh, many of the deductions, um, they didn't take away the charitable contributions but it's still got to be pretty significant to get you over that 12.5 i think it is the hump yeah well you, they they increased the standard deduction to for a married couple is 24,000 now right so right. to to get over that hurdle especially with the, with the fact that they reduced the state and local tax deduction to 10,000 or they capped it at 10,000 uh it's hard for a lot of people to meet that $24,000 right you know uh limit so that they're having to take a standard deduction when maybe in years past they've itemized and so the dollars they've given to charity have been deductible. In this case, if you're just giving after-tax money to a charity, it's potentially not deductible if you're not itemizing. So uh, Michael has, has uh, seen this a lot with his client base. I've seen it a lot with mine. Um, just a lot more people have falling into this situation, and there is a solution for it, especially if they're taking mandatory withdrawals. And yeah, they just is. they just take it right out of the IRA, yeah. and and it but it's got to go directly to the charity. It cannot go to them. Uh, you can get your financial professional to help you with it. Um, I've issued 
a lot of checks directly to the church and, and sent letters to, to say who it's from. And, uh, and that helps reduce their ordinary income tax because they're not taxed on that distribution from their IRA. And then it, it that's it that's without having to itemize. Yeah. So directly, you're you're reducing your income. Yeah. So you just reduce your income. It's actually uh, you know even if you were itemizing in the past, it's still potentially better. You're better off to do it the charitable distribution from your IRA because it's it's not counted as income to begin with. So it might open you up to some additional deductions and things that uh, because your your AGI is going to be lowered. So this is a top line deduction versus a uh, itemized deduction, which would be on the on the bottom line, yeah. the back end. So uh, definitely, if you're kind of on the bubble where you're about to push mm-hmm. yourself into another tax bracket, mm-hmm. this might be an awesome strategy to get you uh, to the point. And by the way, I mean totally legal. We're not talking about something that's a no. evasion. This is uh, this is avoidance, right? Absolutely, which is absolutely legal. So um, it it uh, could keep you from bumping into that next higher. Uh, tax bracket. Right. And the, there's a limit to it. I mean, you're, it's limited to the amount of your mandatory withdrawal uh, or $100,000. So uh, whatever the, the lesser of those is, is going to be your limit. So it has to be part of your mandatory distribution. So if you're you know, 65, you can't use this strategy. Got to um, be 70 and a half. 70 or, and a half or mandatory older. withdrawal age and actually taking mandatory withdrawals, which Hopefully you're doing if you're over 70 and a half. Oh, otherwise <laughs> you you've got issues. You've right? got you've got issues. You got 50 percent penalty issues. So uh, make sure you take your your RMDs. Uh, I mean, Michael, what are the other considerations? Well, it, I just want to say one one other thing. It's got to be a qualified charity. It can't be a private foundation or so a donor advised fund. Legal 501c3. Yes. Uh, registered with the IRS. And I actually met with a, a uh, representative from Fidelity Charitable here recently uh, talking about the donor advised fund. And there there are uh, there are a lot of lobbyists in Congress right now getting uh, trying to push for uh, making it legal to make a qualified charitable distribution from your IRA into a donor advised fund, which would be a huge, huge advantage if that goes through. Right, right now, you're not able to do that. Um, but getting getting that money into a donor advised fund could be very advantageous. Unfortunately, that's not an option now. Um, the only other thing that I've run into is that Schwab or Fidelity or whoever your custodian is, they're they're going to send you a 1099 showing the full taxable amount that you, that you took out of your IRA, at the full amount that you took out as taxable. So it's up to you as the taxpayer and your tax preparer to to make sure that you're only reporting the amount that was actually taxable. Um, on your on your return. Yeah, so it's a, a strategy you have to actually plan ahead for by making sure that you've coordinated the distribution mm-hmm. with the the charitable organization. And Michael, as you said, you've had to fill out some paperwork to make sure that that's done. Yeah, a lot of times, I just send a letter with the check, and then that comes back to the uh, a gift receipt comes back to the client. They can turn it in with their taxes, and then a tax preparer will know that it came. From their that's IRA. Your, that's your proof if the IRS ever questions it. And then you can say, hey, I, here's the money coming out of my IRA, and here's the tax receipt that I got from the charity. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Well, uh, good stuff, guys. Let's uh, take a real quick break. When we come back, we'll answer some financial questions and uh, maybe talk a little about economic conditions. You're listening to Money Talk. listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here today with 
Casey Smith and Michael Griffin, and I've uh, been talking a little bit about financial uh, situation and uh, uh, got some questions that uh, we'd like to answer. If you've got questions of your own, uh, we'd love to hear them. Uh, you can call our question hotline, 1-855-429-9166. The way it works, you leave your uh, recording, including your question, on our um, on our uh, voicemail. We will play your question on the air and answer right behind it. If you prefer to speak to a human being, you can call 770-429-9166. Ask for uh, the radio show producer, Money Talks. It's uh, Kelly Lynn, our, our producer, and she uh, will help you get your question answered by one of our professionals or have it on the air as well. Uh, if you don't want to talk to anybody, don't want to use the phone at all, you can uh, email us at drgene at hensler.com. That's spelled D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. And uh, leave your question. We'll get you an answer on the air. Um, if you want to answer your own questions, you can go to hensler.com, H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. And um, we have a lot of... Uh, content that you can look at on our website uh, that would help you answer many of your, you know, broader questions. If it's real specific, it might not have the uh, the specific answer you're looking for. But uh, again, you know, you you got lots of ways that we can help you talk about finance. Uh, one thing I did want to mention um, today, there's uh, an event going on at uh, Kennesaw State University's Marietta campus uh, where uh, you know, it started as a bathtub race a long time ago uh, where people would take a steel bathtub, these engineer students, and uh, create a, a race car out of it. Nowadays... Uh, Man, that sounds entertaining. Uh, yeah, when I was it a does. kid, I went and watched that. I mean, back in the Stone Age, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, nowadays, they design and build a race car from the ground up. They've uh, invited... Uh, other colleges to come and compete against them. They they run uh, kind of a test uh, uh, a testing mode where they they have uh, several hot laps timed. It's not a heads up race, but uh, it is good information. And then they have uh, kind of a skid pad where they look at how much the the um, the body of the race car they've built will torque as they go around these curves. Uh, not so much a timed event, but, you know, it's it's uh, trying to get a feel for just how good their engineering design was. But they, they build this car from design, so from the ground up. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they might source an engine here or there, but uh, many of them are, are making their own wheels. They they do uh, uh, their all their fairings out of carbon fiber. Um, really interesting, and not only that, the students are really into what they do you ask them a question about their creation and man they take off talking for an hour or yeah. more no, sorry. They, they, those kids are really impressive i went down there last year uh with you saw saw the the races that they did last year and um you know they they are really impressive really into what they're doing and and really smart kids yeah no doubt uh it's an all-day event so uh you know if uh if you're out in the marietta area and want to see something really interesting stop by Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So um, <clears throat> some of the questions we got, Michael from Lilburn has asked us, says, uh, I've heard investors should be trying to reduce portfolio risk and get a little more defensive. What do you think about increasing my position in P&G? Uh, I bought in April 2008 and have enjoyed the growth. Uh, right now, consumer staples is only 5% of my portfolio. 
Is P&G too expensive to buy right now? Um, I will say that, that P&G doesn't look cheap, but neither does much of anything in the market say, right is now. there any, any bargains out there? Not, yeah, not I, much. I'm a little bothered by the fact that you only have 5% of your portfolio in Staples. I, I would say that that's um, probably should be increased at this point. I've talked a lot about uh, where I think we are in the business cycle and no, the business cycle is not dead, although you might think it uh, the way that a lot of folks talk about investing and how much has been made since 2009, uh, the bottom of a market um, that, that was our, our last, uh, basically the end of the financial side of the, the recession. But, yeah. uh, you know, we were still in recession officially, uh, meaning that uh, employment was still really weak and uh, uh, conditions for growth were weak likewise. But um, when we talk more specifically about Procter & Gamble, you know, they've had some issues uh, last year where uh, there was a, a proxy battle. A guy by the name of Nelson Peltz was trying to get on their board. Um, he said he, he's, a, he's one of these investors that likes to try to be uh, active. So he invests in the company, and then he, he tries to make waves until he can uh, get some sway with the board. Um, some of the things that he's been talking about are, are uh, costs within the company. And uh, he said even back then that management was willing to listen to him, but they obviously weren't too willing to uh, allow him on the board without a fight. Right. Uh, so they put up a pretty significant fight. Uh, they they uh, really reached out to investors trying to make sure that they voted against having Mr. Peltz on the board. Um, end of the day, uh, vote came down. And it seemed that Mr. Peltz had lost. Well, the vote was really close. He demanded a recount. They recounted. What do you think happened? Mr. Peltz is on the board. That is absolutely right, Casey. You win a rubber cookie. Yes. Um, it's better than a donut, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, um, so, uh, you know, with, with uh, Nelson Peltz on the board, we think that the company is probably more likely to focus on those cost reductions uh, going forward. So the fact that it's a little expensive is explainable in some manner uh, to the point that, you know, the market believes as well that uh, uh, that there is some, some redemption to P&G. It's a solid company. I mean, they, they've got loads and loads of uh, consumer staple names that you would know, Head & Shoulders, Pantene, Rejoice, Olay, Old Spice, Safeguard, uh, SK2 Brands, um, Downey, Gain, Tide, Cascade. I mean, your house is probably full of the products that are sold by Procter & Gamble. No question. Um, Absolutely. I mean, and, and what we were talking about earlier with the the fact that, I mean, we haven't had a recession right. in quite some time. Right. The, the bull market at one point uh, was it the longest bull run in history? Still is I guess officially. Technically, still is because yeah. of the twenty percent decline and we got close, but nineteen point whatever seven eight or something <laughs> so like that. Not yeah, quite you throw a, the dividend in and it's nineteen seven eight. Okay, so not not quite a, a bear market uh, at the end of the year last year, but um, you know it's not going to go on forever. Not, we will probably, the business cycle is not dead. We will have another right. recession at some point. Absolutely. Staples are going to be a good place to be. And Procter and Gamble is one of those high quality staples that, that we look mm -hmm. to, to add in our, our portfolios. Um, so you can't, you can't really go wrong owning something that, you know, people are going to have to buy no matter what toothpaste and soap and 
yeah. laundry detergent and all that. Yeah, the products, you, you might do without a lot of things, but you're not going to go around stanky. Yeah, that's right. So uh, It had to get pretty bad anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, don't I tell mean, my kids that, though. Yeah, they, they're, they're totally fine with being stanky. Stanky stanky is a way of life. <laughs> That's when you're, a way of life. What, how old are we talking? Six and four. Oh, man. Stanky yeah. is wonderful when yeah, you're that, six. They're all over the stanky. Yeah. All right. As long as they don't start drawing flies. And that's when <laughs> mom steps in. But, you know, the company's got some, some good initiatives going forward. And uh, and we believe that, uh, that they've got potential to grow uh, in the relatively near term and even longer. So... Uh, that would be our point. Yeah, add add to your position, but don't get too much. I mean, we still like to see you stay below what a five percent. Is that what you guys advise, KC? Yeah, no more than five percent in yeah. any one any one company. Yeah. Um, get too much specific company risk if you start doing that. Uh, I mean, you can see what happens with some of those old stage companies. The one that comes most to my mind, GE, recently, right? Yeah, GE is. Everybody that's thought a big it was one. a bellwether. It's gonna last forever and never go down. Yeah. That don't always happen. Don't always yeah. happen. Either. Yeah, so GE. add to it, but find another name or two if you don't have uh, more staple companies. Uh, but P&G would be good to add to as long as you're within those parameters. All right, we got another one here. Arlo from Woodstock says, uh, I'm getting married this summer, and it'll be my second marriage. Oh, second marriage for both of us. Um, while we think we have it figured out, what financial issues do we need to discuss? Anytime you think you got it figured out, you might be treading on thin ice, right? That's right. Yeah. And they don't give us a whole lot of specifics here in terms of you know whether they have children from those first marriages or not and things like that. But, Michael, what are some uh I mean, some they, ideas? they just need to have an open, honest conversation with each other. And they may have already done that about their their debt and any credit cards they have. I mean, you know, you've heard the horror stories of people getting remarried, and then all of a sudden they realize their spouse has $100,000 in debt. Surprise! So they don't want to do that. You know, a prenup is always a good thing to look at if either one of them or both of them have um, a lot of financial assets they want protected, uh, especially if they have kids um, from those previous marriages. From an estate planning standpoint, you know, thinking about where you want things to go, a lot of times children uh, would become involved in those second marriages because – if something happens to one of the spouses and then all of the all of their assets go to the new spouse, then the children could be could be left out of the cold. So just want to make sure that your estate plan is very uh, tied up neatly and according to your wishes. There we go. Hope that answers the question. Uh, we're going to take a real quick break here. When we come back, we'll answer some more financial questions. So stick around. Broadcasting from atop the Hensler Financial Building in the heart of Georgia's financial district, Kennesaw, Georgia, this is Money Talks. We're back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon with Casey Smith and Michael Griffin. And uh, we have been covering all kinds of uh, questions, our financial questions provided by listeners and uh wanted to back up a step we usually cover some of this economic information in our first segment but um there's enough of it to cover here and we didn't get to it then so let's talk a little about manufacturing index uh this is highly correlated with uh, gdp growth and um our number from february is lower than the january so another one of those indications that we might be slowing a bit 
Uh, it was the weather, Troy. The weather. Blame it's, it on the weather. Usually we blame January on the weather, but if you want to blame February on the weather, it was really rainy around here, but I don't think everybody in the country got the same uh, situation. Well, good for them. Because it's been horrible here. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Michael. Uh, <laughs> not that he's bitter from about the heart. anything. But, not, not that yeah. I'm bitter about all the rain at yeah. all. Well, you know, <laughs> to each life, a little rain must fall. Um, so January, we got 56.6. February's number, 54.2. Still above that 50 line, which uh, indicates expansion. Uh, it's growing just by a slower pace. Um, uncertainty in steel prices due to tariffs. Uh, were cited as as uh, one of the contributing factors to lower activity, um, and and that's probably going to be the story for a while. Even if it's not the truth, it's the easiest one to for for some of these economists to tell us. Um, personal income: we saw a previous surge of one percent in December. Um, wages and salaries, which make up the the largest component of financial of of this uh, particular personal income index, rose 03 percent in January. Uh, following a 0.5% increase in December, so we're still expanding in that regard. Um, you know, the the information is late. A lot of these are late because we had a government shutdown in January and part of February that uh, that that drove these to be reported later than normal. So there you have that. Um, it doesn't appear that that's really causing having a whole lot of impact on these. I mean, although the numbers are late, the actual numbers aren't. Nope. Impacted all that greatly by the, the government shutdown, yeah, GDP and any of that? We've talked about that. It, you, you don't want too many government shutdowns because people start figuring out that we don't really need yeah. them as much as they that's think right. we might. So, um, that's why I don't take many two-week vacations. I'll figure out they don't need me anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, just how useful were you again? I mean, um, we say that, but you know, the people who were actually affected by this, you know, they no, you're right. It, it was a huge impact on a lot of folks. And yeah. what is it? More than 50 percent of the population works for the government. Many of those are school teachers and folks like that, and they weren't out of school. They don't all work for the federal government, right? Which is where the shutdown was. But uh, you're absolutely right, Michael. Uh, while we can laugh about it, there are some who probably would not appreciate our laughter. Certainly. Um, yeah, so uh, Consumer Sentiment Survey, this is one that we watch pretty closely. Uh, Michigan, University of Michigan uh, puts this out, rose by 2.6 points to 93.8 in February, uh, still under the December level of 98.3. Um, as I've talked about before, current conditions have been stronger than expectations for the future, and that was still the case here. Um, ISM non-manufacturing, so this is the services index, um, jumped up to 59.7 in February, uh, 3.2 point increase from the January number of 56.7. Um, pretty much across the board in increases, but they're not huge. Um, skipping down the page a little bit, mortgage application survey um, was a bit of a, de a decrease. Top line market decreasing by 2.5. Purchases fell 11.4% of the path over the past four weeks, and refinancing was also down 2%. So, not much good news there. Um, Beige Book showed uh, all 12 districts across the U.S. for the Fed news uh, were flat to moderate. So, um, you know, we're still still seeing uh, nothing to really write home about there. Jobless claims, uh, believe it or not, the employment situation is still the strong point. 
of almost everything in the economy. Uh, moving average, the four-week moving average, which is what we watch. This is released every week, but I like to look at the longer-term uh, indicator uh, fell by 3,000 to 226,250. So uh, when you got unemployment claims still declining, it's uh, amazing. Three point what seven? We're, we're going to zero. I think yeah. Everybody's going to have a job. Un, uh, yeah, you, you might actually. Something. The government's going to make you have two jobs. Two jobs. Yeah. Why, why don't we just? We do talked that? about that at lunch today. Is that going? Does that mean did. you'd be a negative unemployment? Yeah. If you, if everybody had two jobs, then yeah, yeah maybe so. <laughs> All right. I don't. Uh, we'll see if we get there. I don't foresee that being the case. But no. Hey, you never know. No. No, Michael. Michael That's not going to happen. Michael's jobbed out. He's uh, he's saying <laughs> one job is too many for him. <laughs> That's All right. right. Uh, let's get back to our list of questions. We got Judah from Norcross uh, has contacted us saying, "I'm 59. My employer is moving to a high deductible health care plan." That's a very common thing these days. Seen a lot of that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he says we're told uh, we're eligible to open HSAs to use the med- uh, use for medical. Uh, care. Mm-hmm. I get that uh, what I contribute rolls over, but I'll also be eligible for Medicare in six years. Uh, is it worth funding the HSA? Uh, second question, can I pay for health care costs with the HSA once I'm on Medicare? And the short answer to that is yes. Yep, to both, right? To both. So there you go. It is worth funding the HSA. If you're going to have an HSA, if you're going to have a, a high deductible plan, I you should definitely have yeah, the, an HSA. The HSA is, is one of these really uh, versatile savings vehicles that you don't see too often. Um, it has a triple benefit because you get, you know, it's, it's pre-tax dollars go in there. Um, it grows tax deferred, I guess. and then Yeah, it's kind of like an IRA in that Like regard. an IRA. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you spend it on non-medical items, it's taxable, um, but it, just like an IRA would be. Uh, if you spend it on for medical expenses, qualified medical expenses, then it's non-taxable. So there's and there's no age requirement on this. It's not a 59 mm-hmm. and a half kind of thing. It's if you have expenses that are yeah, I mean you get medical. penalized for for non-medical expenses prior to age 65. So, but once you reach 65, you can spend it on anything you like. Just pay ordinary tax on it. Um, the the not the other advantage to it that a lot of people don't know about is there's no look back in terms of when the medical expense has to be incurred. So in other words, uh, if you incurred medical expenses today of $5,000 and then you paid out of pocket for those and you're all the while contributing to an HSA that's opened as of prior to that medical expense being incurred, 10 years later, you want to take $5,000 out of your HSA to go buy whatever, put down payment on a car or something. You can take the money out of your HSA, use your receipt that you paid out of pocket for, 10 years earlier, and that can be used as a qualified medical expense, hmm. even, that, even though it's later. There's no time, at least as of right now, there's no look back. They don't require you to spend it on uh, expenses in the current year or prior two years or anything like that. You can right. go back as far, as long as the plan is open as of what prior to any expenses that you incur. Yeah. Now, in order for you to open an HSA, though, yeah, you have to have... That high, high deductible, deductible. Yeah. plan, right? Yeah. And do you happen to know where the limits are on what makes one high deductible and what makes it not? Uh, I actually don't have that. Um, well, how about that? Yeah. Way to go, Troy. We're supposed to talk about this before you asked me on the air. 
There is a limit to it. I, I want to say it's actually not that high. Um, it's 1,500 or 2,000, something like that. It's somewhere it's in the, the 2,000, um, I believe. But um, there is a limit to how much you can contribute to it, which is, is $7,000 for 2019 for a family. Um, and the family, it doesn't say, I mean, it doesn't add to it because you have more family members. Right, that's that's your family family maximum be seven thousand for twenty nineteen. But you know your plan has to be thirty five hundred dollars for an individual. Well, thirty five hundred for twenty nineteen, and seven thousand for family. The insurance company identifies it as high deductible. It has to be kind of coded as a high deductible plan. So the amount's not going to matter really much as long as you're because you could have a you could have a deductible that's two thousand or three thousand or five thousand dollars that's not technically a high deductible plan just because of your deductible. There's other criteria that go into it all right well there you have it folks uh mark it up or down guys i'm gonna say up i hope up yeah i'm gonna say up because i always say up thanks for listening this is money talks we'll catch you next week All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.